Now, for 10 weeks, we have talked about a number of things. And by way of review, last time, we covered the Lord's Supper service. What we want to move into today is, is really what I've been looking forward to. It's kind of the nuts and the bolts of a New Testament church and, and, and the structure of a New Testament church. It might, it might sound dry, but, but I think you'll find it very interesting. The composition, why a, a church is formed with the framework that it is set up with. It's so important that we understand this. And again, I think you'll find it interesting. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We've been in a series here on the church and the fact that church still works. As I use an expression like German rationalism, perhaps most of you wouldn't really realize what that is, though some of you would. But there was a liberalism that followed that, and, and it's called now postmodernism. And, and today, as a result of all that that took place decades ago, we're reaping the, the rotten fruit of it. And as a result, most people are neglecting church altogether. It's, there's been this transgression, this, it's, it's been downhill. But I would say on the average, maybe... 30% of the people in this city, and in most cities, even bother being aligned with the church or attending church on a, a weekly basis. And to them, they feel that church is irrelevant. Well, may I say that, yes, in many cases, church has become irrelevant in many places, but there's a reason for that. The reason for it is because, well, most churches have abandoned the instruction manual. We know what that is, don't we? the Word of God, the Bible. Church is not obsolete and church is not irrelevant if it's done right. And the Bible does say, let all things be done decently and in order. So as a New Testament church, as a scriptural Baptist church, it's important that we follow the instruction manual. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he would build his church and he promised its perpetuity. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, with that as a springboard, we're going to move our text for a while here, and we're going to look at Ephesians 3, and beginning in verse number 20, the Bible says, Now unto him, speaking of God, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The church is still alive and well, and we need to understand how it works, because it still works, and we're going to study it more today. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we, we look forward to learning more about something that Christ loved and gave himself for, something that's the pillar and ground of the truth. Father, we just pray that you'd help us to listen carefully, and that we would fall more in love with the institution and the only institution that our Lord Jesus Christ started when he walked this earth. And Father, as a result, may it stir us to be more faithful in days that are hard to be faithful. Father, I just pray now that you would help us to listen and to benefit thereby. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is church now irrelevant or is church now obsolete? 
Is church really unconnected from what's going on in society and of no use anymore? So it's, has it become unnecessary and is it insignificant? In the early days of this country, the New Testament church played a major role. In fact, even just the general populace were, were normally aligned with church and religion and God and deity and all that. And, and churches like this church really played a major role. People went to church. They cared about church. The institution of the church today has now been, for the most part, tossed into the bone heap and discarded as obsolete, along with the Edsel and the 8-track player and the uh, 33 RPM album and, and some other things like that. We just consider it as old and crusty and dusty and, and uh, dead. Well, let me just say, in, in many situations, the churches are dead. They're deader than last year's Christmas tree. That's pretty dead by this time of the year, by the way. Uh, they are just as cold as ice. I mean, you could skate up and down the aisles, and the, the ushers are penguins, and, you know, it's just a cold place because it's so dead and cold, and, and you go there and you get a, a, about a 40-minute ritual, really, that you may have seen thousands of times before. It's almost unbearable, only to be, I guess, topped by the, the sermon itself. The sermonette, which is probably the hardest to bear in many churches. And, and so you can see where people just go, what's the use in going? It's so dead. It's so cold. And then there's the other extreme. You find this, that many churches have gone to a production now, and a show, and, a, and an exhibition. Basically, a, a pretense that's an imitation of the world. And by the way, there are those who eventually see through it. They roll their eyes, and they go, brother... And so we have the extremes, but the Bible here gives us the model of what a church really ought to be. When the Fargo Baptist Church commenced, I guess I determined in my heart at that point two things. Number one, church still works. And secondly, we're going to do church right. We're going to find that biblical balance. In our text here of Ephesians 3 and in verse 20, it says, Speaking of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him, and I love these words, be glory in the church. Where does God get glory? In, through, and by a local church. We need to be careful when it comes to things outside of the local church, parachurch organizations, because God gets glory in the church. Well, does he still today? Yeah, read on. It says, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And so the church is where we need to be aligned with. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice these words, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church is not only where Christ gets glory throughout all ages, but it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. And at least it's supposed to be. In fact, look right here in Ephesians in chapter 3 and verse 10. This verse says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. There's something special about the church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the place where the manifold wisdom of God is known. In fact, turn a page to Ephesians 5. It builds, in verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Boy, if you'd give yourself for something, it's got to be pretty precious. And so we find out the church is a pillar and ground of the truth. It's where the manifold wisdom of God is found. It's where Christ receives glory throughout all ages. And that Christ loved it and gave himself for it. Now, when we're talking about the church, we've studied this subject long enough to know we're not talking about some universal, invisible thing made up of all believers. There's really no such thing in the Bible. The very Greek word ekklesia means called out. It's an assembly of people who have come together, called out of the world like we are here right now. It's an ekklesia, a local church. Now, for 10 weeks... We have talked about a number of things, and by way of review, last time we covered the Lord's Supper service, or what's known as the Lord's Table, or communion, and and what it is and what it's not. It's not transubstantiation. We discussed that. It's not a sacrament, which implies it saves. No, you could get communion every day of the week and still die and go to hell. There's no saving merit in the Lord's Supper service. We've talked about the fact it's simply an act of obedience, It's an act of examination. We come together, we examine ourselves. But most of all, it's it's done in remembrance of what Christ did on the cross. It's a memorial. We discussed whether it ought to be open or close or closed. Talked about what the elements ought to be, the, the fruit of the vine, the fact that it's got to be unleavened. Leaven is a picture of sin. It's got to be unleavened bread. And, and it's all designed to be a beautiful memorial of what saved us, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. My very first Lord's Supper service was way back in December of, of 1981. And uh, I didn't know really what to expect. It was so simple. It was so solemn and so significant. And, and uh, Pastor Doss, our pastor, had announced for some time that it was coming up. So uh, I was baptized as a member of the church. I was excited about this. And we had a, a time of reflection, a time of self-examination to make sure that our hearts were right with God vertically and, and others uh, horizontally that our relationships were right. And we had it at night because Jesus had it at night. And we had it on a Tuesday night. And I went there and, and there was a time of prayer first and then there was some scripture read and there, there was this, this devotion given and, and uh, it was all explained and the elements uh, were distributed and, and uh, we partook together. And then we sung a hymn when we were done and the pastor oversaw it, the deacons assisted him and it was just so special. And it's been so special ever since. Now, how often should a person observe the Lord's Supper service? There are a lot of people that think, well, Jesus said, observe it often, but he didn't. You've got to read carefully what he said. He said, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. There are a number of accounts in the book of Acts of them coming together and breaking bread, and you go, well, man, they seem to be doing a lot. But a closer examination of it looks like they were just having what we Baptists do a lot. Fellowship over food. And uh, we've talked about that. But uh, at the risk of routine around here, we don't, we, we do it, you know, every year, but we don't do it every Sunday. And we don't tack it on to some other service. There's a reason for that. Those who are there are there by choice. They are there because they've examined themselves. They want to be right with God. And they are in full unity. It's so important that we are. But that's another message, and we've talked about it already. What we want to move into today is, is really what I've been looking forward to. It's kind of the nuts and the bolts 
of a New Testament church and, and, and the structure of a New Testament church. It might, it might sound dry, but, but I think you'll find it very interesting. The composition, why a, a church is formed with the framework that it is set up with. It's so important that we understand this. And again, I think you'll find it interesting. Now, in the Bible, there is no ecclesiastical hierarchy. Ecclesiastical simply mean, meaning religious or spiritual. There is no a hierarchy system set up. And, and, and you may have never known anything else like I have, but when I grew up, there was a hierarchy in the religion I grew up. There was, first of all, one man at the top, this supreme leader over in Europe who oversaw the whole thing. And he was uh, even able at times to come up with new doctrine and tack on new doctrine. Whenever he spoke ex ex cathedra, it was to be infallible. So they teach and, and actually could be added to the scriptures. He had a group under him and uh, they actually would elect him because, of course, the, you know, the, the top guy dies every 20, 30 years. And so the guys under him elect the next guy. Then there's a group under them and they oversee certain areas or regions maybe uh, 150 miles by 150 miles, and, and they called those dioceses. And then within those dioceses, they had the local parishes and the, the, the ministers, the clergymen who actually saw that local congregation. There was a hierarchy system. And, the, and their sermons actually came from the top down. And the, 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 uh, the bulletins and the material they taught off of, there was a system where it was all delivered down. And, and you had to basically deliver what came from headquarters. Well, in the Bible, there is no hierarchy system. You study the book of Acts, you study the epistles, and every church is an independent church. The Bible mentions the churches of Galatia. The Bible mentions the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus, or the church at Philippi, or the church at Thessalonica. They were individual churches, and they were all independent churches. In fact, in Revelation 1 through 3, it mentions uh, seven churches in Asia Minor. And, and, and Jesus Christ there addresses those seven churches individually with, with different uh, words of commendation and different issues that needed to be dealt with. He even addressed the pastors of them, called the angel of those churches, which meant the, the angelos or the messenger, the one who brought the message. And, and so henceforth, every church biblically is autonomous. We don't use that word a lot. When, when you speak of autonomy, you're speaking of something that is self-governing. There's, there's no hierarchy system. There's, there's no instructions that come down from the top. Every scriptural church in the Bible is independent. And it's sovereign. Basically, it has no higher authority over it except Jesus Christ himself. A true church is under Jesus Christ himself and governed by the Bible. There's no middleman. There's no middlemen. There's no system, no network, no tiers up, no pyramid, if you will, where, where you get to this guy at the top. There's no outside influence between Christ and His Word and that local congregation. Now, there's some good reasons for that. Uh, for example, if one congregation apostatizes, it doesn't affect all the congregations. There are synods, there are conventions, there are, there are all kinds of things that are a, a big association that are apostatizing. But when you do it God's way, the Bible way, and every church is unaffiliated and, and independent, it's not wholesale apostasy. See what I mean? 
If the whole system apostatizes when, when one of these networks or these ecclesiastical hierarchies go down, all the churches go along with it. But we are an independent Baptist church. Let me give an ex- a couple examples of this. There is a, a, a radical group out of Kansas. I, I think they're Westboro Baptist Church, and it's really not even a legitimate church. It's, it's a family or two that have gotten together and taken a good name and put it on their, their, their organization, and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and they're, they're protesting at, at military funerals and, and just doing a lot of inappropriate stuff. And, and that has no bearing on us because we are not connected to them. Well, you say we've got the same name. We can't help that. Anybody can call themselves a Baptist church. doesn't mean a thing. We are an independent Baptist church. Let me give you another example. Sometime back on, um, I don't know if it's 2020 or 60 Minutes or one of those shows, they actually did a, an expose of an independent Baptist church, or a few of them, they call them fundamentalists. And by the way, I'm careful with that name, fundamentalist, because you can get sucked into all kinds of fundamental uh, terrorists and, and Islamic groups and all this kind of stuff. It's something we haven't actually used here. Um, you won't find it in our literature. You won't find it in the Yellow Page ad. And there's a reason for that. We are an independent, and even that word can be taken as, oh, you guys are, are, are just so independent. Well, maybe non-affiliated is a better word, okay? We are a non-affiliated Baptist church. But 2020 did an expose of some churches that really had some corruption within them and, and some immorality, and they're just pulling some shenanigans. And, and I had a, a person or two say, is that your crowd? And uh, honestly, I can say no. That is not our system. We are not part of some convention. We are not part of some uh, so-called denomination. We are not part of some association. We are a non-affiliated Baptist church. We are self-governing. We are self-financing. We are self-propagating. That's not a word we use a lot either, but it simply means we growth comes from within. We multiply from within. We are self propagating, self-reproducing, self-spreading, if you will. Back in 1966, uh, a group of Christians up at the Grand Forks Air Force Base wanted to get a church going in in the the greater Grand Forks area. A church from Alaska sponsored them, and a church was born there. It grew, and uh, shortly after, uh, a young uh, airman by the name of of Clayton Doss got saved, and, and God called him to preach. And in 19... 76, 10 years later, he started the Bible Baptist Church in Crookston. Well, I come along five years later, I get saved. God calls me to preach. And 10 years exactly after the church in Crookston started, we basically went on deputation and came here and started the Fargo Baptist Church. Now, since that time, and we saw some faces on the overhead just a little while ago, there are missionaries now in Africa and Russia and Thailand and a number of places in in the United States, and we sponsor them. And we also support dozens of other missionaries that we didn't necessarily send out, but all under the direction of this local church. We are self-governing, we are self-financing, we are self-propagating. Now let me show you why we are, according to the Scriptures. If you would turn to Acts chapter 8. We are independent, we are unaffiliated. And that is the nature of churches in the Bible. Let's, let's study the nature of independent churches. There is no example in the New Testament of some ecclesiastical board 
that a bunch of churches answer to. There's no example in the New Testament of some council, some convention, or some network. You know, the, uh, the church of Rome has a leader. Their head is in Rome. And that leader claims to be the successor of Peter. They claim Peter was the first one to hold that office. Uh, he was not. Not at all. In fact, they claim to have this, this line of 277 or 78 or, or it's different numbers, whatever you read, of, of men that go back to the first century in Peter. It is one of the most uncredible lists I've ever studied out. They have changed it many times along the way, added names, thrown names out, made up names, and uh, no insurance company in the world would give it a title deed. Peter was not the first uh, pope, if you will. In fact... Peter was simply a pastor. Peter was one of many pastors. He said that himself. Let's read this before we read next. 1 Peter 5.1, Peter says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, he says, who am also an elder. Another word for pastor. He says, I exhort you, pastors. I am one of you. I am also an elder. Peter was not the head of the whole organization in the first century. Not at all. In fact, we find that uh, Philippi, or not Philippi, but uh, Samaria was, was getting the gospel and receiving it. And here in Acts chapter 8, they, they took action back in Jerusalem. In verse number 14, notice it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. It doesn't say that Peter was the big cheese and, and the big kahuna and, and he was ordering uh, little peons around and saying, hey, you, you, you get up there to Samaria. No, apparently they had a joint meeting and they said, uh, Peter, you and John probably should go. Peter wasn't anything special. He wasn't uh, the big guy or, or the boss. He was just one of the preachers, one of the elders, one of the pastors. In fact, we find out in Galatians chapter 2 that uh, he was inconsistent in one situation, and Paul rebuked him for it. And, and so we don't see Peter as some pope here. In fact, if anybody was kind of a leader there in Jerusalem, I would say it was James. From my study of the Bible, we find at the Jerusalem Council, it's James in Acts 15 that, that kind of speaks up and makes the final call there. In chapter 21, uh, when Paul returns after his third missionary journey, it's obvious that James is the man to be reckoned with back there. So there's no example of Peter overseeing some big network back there in the first century. In fact, there's no example of a network at all in the New Testament. Nothing centralized, no hierarchy, no, no regime, no bureaucracy, no pecking order uh, of, of this guy being over this guy who's over that guy. None of that. You don't find that in the New Testament. You just find individual local churches. And that's what an ecclesia is. It's a local, visible, called out assembly of people. There's no such thing in the New Testament as, as this mother church that orders the other ones around. Now look in Galatians chapter 1, if you would. And let's continue to look at the, the independency of individual churches. You find no example in the Bible of one church acting on the behalf of others and calling the shots. No, they were individual, sovereign churches, each one of them. In Galatians 1, Paul opens this epistle in verse 1 <clears throat> by saying, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, 
and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Notice the plurality. Galatia wasn't a city. Not like Ephesus and Thessalonica. Galatia is a region. There were a number of churches there, and he mentions those churches there, individual, distinct, sovereign churches. We find the same wording in 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. You find the same wording as 2 Thessalonians opens up. These churches were all independent churches. That's the only kind you find in the Bible. And that is, is for a reason. It honors the headship of Christ. This church recognizes that Christ is our head. And we follow him by following his word. Look in Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Let me give you another example of this in Matthew chapter 18, where we find the matter of church discipline taught by our Lord Jesus Christ, which simply means if a church member acts up, he's, he's out of sorts with God, out of fellowship with the church and, and, and living an ungodly life, he is to be warned, he is to be tried to restored. If he refuses to be, he is to be disciplined out of the church or excommunicated. In Matthew 18 and in verse number 15, Jesus teaches us, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, take it to the bishop. No, it doesn't say that. Take it to the archbishop? Nope. Take it to the cardinal? Nope. It, it says, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Notice, you don't go any higher than the church. When you hit that tier, buddy, that's it. There's no diocese, there's no convention, no association, no nothing. The voice of the local church is final. If he refused to hear the church, that's it. That's as high as it goes. The buck stops there. He is excommunicated at that point because the final word of the church is sovereign there. Now, in Acts chapter 1, we find another example of this truth. Judas has hung himself, he's died, and it's, it's time to replace him so that they still have the twelve there. And so there's, there's 120 apparent members in the church there in Jerusalem. They're mentioned. And uh, what they do to replace Judas is they take a vote. They take a vote. The apostles and, and, and that crowd comes together, and they vote, and they, they, they vote on Matthias. Now, notice Peter's not overseeing anything there. He's not saying, this is the guy it's going to be. Peter has one vote like everybody else because a church is congregational in government, if you want to put it that way. It's the congregation that comes together and decides. In Acts chapter 6, you have some Grecian widows that are being neglected. Now, the apostles provide some leadership, but they take it to the church, and together they decide to ordain seven deacons. But again, Peter had one vote, so did James, so did everybody else. I have one vote in this church. Now, we'll study later on the, the responsibility of the pastor as far as overseeing things, but I have one vote, like you have. We are a congregation. We are an independent Baptist church. In 1 Corinthians, we find another example. Uh, chapter 5, Paul's writing, and there's, there's some nasty stuff going on in that church. There's incest going on in that church. And uh, Paul doesn't tell them, you know, uh, I've spoken and you need to do this. 
No, he speaks more in an advisory capacity and saying, you know, you need to take care of this. He wasn't ordering them around. He was saying, this is how you do it. And uh, he simply wasn't some kind of leader of them, but basically a a fellow who started the church and, and ordained the preacher and he moved on. There are a number of times you find Paul himself being sent by his church there back in Antioch. You find him reporting back to that church after he ends each missionary journey. You find him accountable to that church because you don't go any higher than the church. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus Christ didn't address the the head, the one leader of the synod or the convention or the, the diocese. He addressed the seven churches there in Asia Minor and the pastors of them, each one individually. We find this in Revelation 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When God has something to tell His churches, He goes straight to them. Now, that means we have a, a lot of privileges, folks. But it's a sobering thought because we have a lot of responsibility as well. There are some guidelines. Yes, we have liberty, but liberty is not a license to do our own thing. In fact, in Luke 12:48, it says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. That's a sobering verse to me. The Fargo Baptist Church is limited by the Bible, to follow the Bible. Now, you have certain synods and, and uh, you have certain conventions right now debating things like same-sex marriage. You've read that as I have saying, well, should we decide that this is okay, and and so on and so forth. It's like, what? The Bible is crystal clear when it comes to the subject of sodomy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not to be debated. The Bible is to be obeyed. A church is not legislative. Let me explain what I mean by that. We don't make laws, okay? We don't make new policies. You've got all kinds of synods and conventions and, and, and so on. They're making new laws and making new decisions. We don't have any right to do that. We are simply executive. We carry out what has already been written. That's the purpose of a church. Look in Matthew chapter 28. On that note, we have another responsibility. It's the Great Commission. It's given in Matthew 28, in verse 18... Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That means make disciples, win souls, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, we've looked at that already. We know it was given to the church, to the local church. And so we find out the Great Commission is given here, and it's our responsibility given from our Savior, His departing instructions. That's what we're supposed to stick with. I say that because a number of churches have gotten tangled up in, in social, social issues that really aren't the Great Commission at all. Fargo Baptist Church is not to be a business. We are not to be a political forum. If you look at the ministries of this church, be it uh, the, the Bible college, the radio station, the faith for life, the campus ministry, the bus ministry, they're all designed to do one thing, and that is to bring people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Now, let me just give you another limit that this church has on it. This church here is providing love, support, guidance in spiritual matters. We're supposed to do that. 
but we are not here to cross a line and interfere in what we would call individual soul liberty or your personal rights. We have a covenant here. We have a, an Articles of Faith with some very basic uh, tenets of holiness. And you have a free will to be a member of this church if you want to. If you decide you want to be, there are some basic things that we adhere to and we follow, but there's a lot of personal freedom with that. There's a lot of domestic decisions that you need to make that we have no right in telling you what to do. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is individual, soul liberty, the priesthood of the believer, lest we be cultish. We're not going to micromanage people. And I, I know places where that goes on. And I know it tries to co- come, come out here, and, and we ever, every so often have to uh, tweak some you know, spiritual vigilante that's going around who was never deputized to do it, but is trying to straighten everybody out. That is not our job. Now, I'm not saying I agree with everything I see going on here within families and individuals. I cringe at some things, but there are some things that are not my call. That is your call. Now, the Bible does say, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. God help us not to cause others to stumble. That's the essence of selfishness. God help us not to be selfish. Never forget, none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. There is individual soul liberty within a scriptural New Testament church. Now, let me share another thought with you. I I find it interesting anyway. Independency, independency is not isolationism. Um, Yes, churches in the New Testament are completely independent in their affairs, but they did work together. You find that in the Bible. They did fellowship together. Colossians 4.16, Paul said to the church at Colossae, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans. These churches apparently fellowshiped. These churches were apparently uh, about 20 miles apart from each other. And you can see the seven churches of Asia Minor there behind me. And you can see how close Laodicea and Colossae were. And so if Paul wrote a letter to this one and a letter to that one, he said, you guys exchange letters. And uh, you would have too if you wouldn't have had a word processor back in those days and, and had to write the thing out longhand. But obviously, they cooperated. They also transferred memberships. They worked together in that capacity. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 mentions epistles of commendation from one church to the other, letters of commendation or letters of recommendation, which we still use today. Also, they cooperated by having what we would call regional fellowship, if you will. 1 Corinthians sixteen nineteen. Paul said, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Here's Paul mentioning some other churches of Asia saluting that church at Corinth. And so they probably had some regional fellowship. In fact, Galatians 1.22 mentions the churches of Judea. And so they apparently got together. They did stuff together. They cooperated together. They, uh, I believe, worked together when it came to uh, ministry and missionary enterprise. You know, the church at uh, Antioch sent out uh, Paul and Barnabas, but you find Paul being supported 
by other churches financially. The church at Philippi supported Paul. Paul mentioned that in Philippians 4.10. Their care of him had flourished. He's talking about financial care, financial support. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, if we had more time, we would read the first four verses there, which talk about even, I believe, faith promised missions and giving to support other churches. And, and uh, the church at Jerusalem uh, even had some financial difficulty, and other churches uh, were, were helping that church back in, in the Holy Land there. At our church here, we have someplace, I think, around 70 missionaries that we support and we would be happy to help even other churches who are financially hurting. Um, we sent a, a big love offering here a week ago to, uh, to Asia to help out some churches over there. So here we find how a church works. And by the way, when it's done right, when it's done biblically, it works beautifully together. Now, you may na- never have realized uh, what we've talked about here, the, the whole system and all that, but there is a reason we do what we do here. We'll close again with our text which says, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. There are more things we do as a church here because it's a biblical pattern. And we'll pick up with some of those thoughts next time. Yes, church still works if it's done right. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.